Thank you, Lori. Thank you, team. I love that imagery, running to the Father. We can run to the, to the Father and know that he's going to embrace us with his grace. Love that imagery. Well, I want to start off today um, with asking a question that Max Licato, in his book, Just Like Jesus, asked. And I want you to think about this question. The question is this. What if, for one day, 24 hours, Jesus was to become you? What if for 24 hours, Jesus wakes up in your bed, he puts on your shoes, he lives in your house, he assumes your schedule, he has your regular routine for that 24 hours? Your boss becomes his boss. Your family becomes his family. Your pains become his pains. All of this. The exception is that really nothing changes in your schedule. Your health is the same. Everything that you have or would face for that day would be the same. All the circumstances that you would face would not change. Your financial condition would be the same. No schedule altered, no problems solved as Jesus wakes as you that day. The only difference would be this, is your heart gets to take a 24-hour period off and Jesus inserts his heart into you so that the priorities of your action that day are his passions. Your decisions are his decisions. His love directs your behavior. Think about it. Would people notice a change? Would your family notice a change in you in any way if Jesus' heart is inside of you? Would your co-workers notice a change? Would your enemies know or notice a change as you might treat them a little bit differently? Maybe, I don't know, you know, if Jesus' heart is in you. Would anyone detect a difference? Would anyone receive mercy that maybe you wouldn't have given? And what about if... Jesus' heart is in your heart. If Jesus is living inside you as as his heart, would your mood swings change? Would your anxieties lift? Would what you were facing that day or how you dealt with it change? Would you look at life differently? Would you look at death differently over that 24-hour period of time? What about your schedule, obligations, engagements, outings, appointments? If Jesus takes over your complete heart, would anything change during that 24-hour period of time? Guess what, church? That's exactly what God wants in you. He wants to take over your heart. He wants your heart completely 100% his. 
hundred percent his. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So there is no question that God plans, desires, wants us to give him our whole heart. He wants our heart and he wants it pure and holy. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 says, And that you be renewed in the Spirit. And that is a small s, your spirit. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on a new self, which is in the likeness of God, that has been created in righteousness and the holiness, in other words, purity, for truth. So please, please mark it down in your mind that God wants you to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants you to have Christ's heart that is pure and holy. This sixth beatitude that we're looking at today, I've already told you, read that to you, but I want to read it again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that this morning you would illuminate our hearts and minds for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. Thank you, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, this verse says, again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what capacity, and what capacity will we see God? In what capacity will you see God? Because I'm telling you, everyone is going to see God at least once. Everyone. We know this from Scripture. Those who have not come to faith, those who are condemned before the Lord will be judged. And the scripture tells us very clearly that they're going to be judged for their deeds as we are. But those who have never come to a faith relationship will be separated for all eternity. Just look at a few of these verses. Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15 reads this way. John's revelation, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up their dead which was in it. Death and Hades gave up their dead which were in them. They were all, all judged. Every one according to his deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he, they were thrown into the lake of fire. John reminds us that we will be judged according to our deeds. 
And then Paul reminds us in a similar punishment in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8, when he says, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in the flaming fire, dealing out retribution for those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. All of those who are not pure in heart will see God only once and their judgment will be rendered and the scriptures tell us that they will be separated from him for all eternity. But the text reminds us, blessed are the pure in heart, happy are the pure in heart, holy are the pure in heart, approved are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the Greek here, the grammar in the Greek is a continual process, a continual seeing of God. There's no need to fear that we will not see him as believers. For we as the redeemed are called to life, to a purity of heart. We are called by the love of God through Jesus Christ to be a part of his inheritance. Matthew 25, 34, for the redeemed says this. Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6 and 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will raise, be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and listen to what the scripture says, so that we, we shall always be with the Lord. That's a forever and ever amen. Thanks be to God. Revelation 22 Verses 3 through 5 says, There will be no longer any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and the bondservants will serve him, and, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no longer any night, and they will have no need of light or a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and here's that sentence again. And they will reign with him forever and ever. Oh my goodness, I can't wait. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for, for the Lord to, to burst this place wide open and receive us into his presence. Jesus, in this text, is reminding us, and remember this flow that we're going through, and now we're on this, this sixth beatitude. We have talked about blessed are those poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle or the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. And now Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. There are those that think that maybe this is out of place. Maybe it should have been the first one. Or maybe he should have wrapped it up with these eight beatitudes. With blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. But, but I believe that and we believe that God through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, this inspiration has placed this at the very place that he wanted it. Jesus wants us to remember what it means to be pure in heart before we go any further, before we hear anything else in this sermon. The world in which we live has lost contact with or the understanding with what it means to have a, a clean or a pure heart. What it means to have a relationship that is pure and holy with the Lord God. Even many within the church have lost this relationship of what a pure heart means. Many in the church today see the head as something that's a mental exercise that really is about uh, rituals or just going through the mental motions of what it means to be religious. There are those who think that the hands is a place that just the doing will soothe your guilty conscience. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees that talked about the those that the, the outward signs of, of what you do and the religious activity that you do. But the Pharisees were not a follower of Jesus. And there are many today that play the part, practice the part, but they have no genuine change inside their heart. The relationship with God is such that they have not been refreshed, they have not been renewed, they are not following what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, which is an inward change, an inward change. The word heart in Scripture, in, in all of Scripture, talks about the inward part of a man, of a woman. It is the seat where personality takes place. It's where we get our word cardiac from the Greek word cardia. It refers to the process of thinking. The Bible talks about emotion, but often when it talks about emotion, it talks about from the gut. In fact, the Pharisees would talk about, I have this gut feeling in me and how they would make decisions with their emotions. But for us, the Bible tells us that as... Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so that he is. In the real sense, we can think of this word heart as referring to all our will, all of our mindset, and all of our emotions, how they, how they affect us in what we do, in what we say, in our deeds and our actions. And so when Christ speaks of a pure heart. He is talking about a heart that controls all of us, every part of us, all that we do. 
and this direct shot to the Pharisees, the Pharisaic leaders, as they would hear him as he taught and as he preached over these three years, he continually called them out for their outward signs that they had not been changed inwardly. God calls us to have a right heart. And if something is wrong inside of us, it will affect all that we do. We had a storm on the farm come through one time, and there's this huge oak tree that was across the road. It was in my Aunt Opal's yard. She lived right across the road from us. And um, I remember that tree looked so healthy, looked so good, and we had this uh, storm come through that had some straight-line winds. And, and this tree was the one that went over, and, and nothing, none of the other oak trees fell. And I remember going and looking at the tree and the tree stump, and what I saw was this. The insects had gotten inside and hollowed out the inside at the base of the stump. And this is why the oak tree fell. Not because of, if you look at it, it looked very healthy and very well. But inside it had been eaten out. There was nothing there to hold it firm. The winds and storms came and pushed against it, and it fell. And we're much like that. When we allow something within this world to get inside of us and eat at us, to eat at our heart... It is a, a time when the world begins to push against us and we do not have the power to withstand the force. But God wants us. God wants us to be firm in all that we do. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And listen to what the prophet says. And beyond cure, who can understand it? Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct. There's that word again, the conduct, according to his deeds, according to the deeds that he deserves. The deceitfulness reveals that there's a disease in the heart. Jeremiah refers to the heart as beyond cure, terminally ill. King James, in his Version says that the heart is, des is uh, desperately wicked. The heart is so sick that medication can't heal it. The reformers refer to this as total depravity. That in fact, our total being is such that every part of us, every part of us is influenced in some way by sin, by depravity. We're kind of like Humpty Dumpty. We've all fallen and we can't get up. But there's salvation there. We can't get up on our own. We can't forgive our sin on our own. We don't sin because of our surroundings. We sin because of what's in our heart. We sin because Satan tempts us. And because of this heart that is deceitful and diseased, we desperately need for God to seek us out. Remember Jeremiah said, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine it. God seeks us out. It is his desire for us 
to be one with him, one in all that we do. He wants our heart pure and holy for him, not to mask it in any way, not to hide anything. He wants our internal, internal to guide us in all ways. It isn't popular in the world today to talk about purity. In fact, um, I think Hollywood thinks that is a, uh, a word that just has no bearing or should not even be used today because as we look at the world, the world is attracted uh, to um, lustful living. The world is attracted to what cravings can quench the spirit or the heart for right now. But this beatitude is very clear. The attraction that God has for us is a heart of purity. What does the term pure mean? In the Greek, this term means to cleanse from filth or iniquity. Not to be mixed with anything. And so when Jesus is talking in this particular beatitude about the pure heart, he's talking about nothing, nothing mixing with your heart. It's undulterated. It's uncontaminated. It's unmixed with anything. No foreign element is added to it. Nothing of this world would come into the heart to drive you in a different direction, to lead you in a different way. What Christ is saying is this, I'm going after your heart. And it's to be unmixed with anything but devotion to me. Your motives every day in all ways are to be holy. They're to be pure. Your spiritual integrity, the singleness of your heart is to be towards me. The opposite of that would be to be double-minded or to have dual allegiance. And we know that Jesus reminds us that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. And so Jesus is saying the one who is single-minded, the one who is focused in their heart to serve him in all ways, is the one who will see Christ. Psalm 24 that I read for the confession this morning. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in that holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. This is what God is calling us to. This is what God is telling us. He expects from us as followers of his son. So how can we develop this pure, this clean heart? What are some ways that we can think of to have this heart of purity before the Lord God? I'm going to give you three R words. Maybe they will help you remember. The first one is remember that God is watching your heart. God is watching you. There is nothing secret. There is nothing that the Lord does not see. Proverbs 5.21 For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of your paths. All of your paths. We'll get to Matthew 6 in, um, well, it's going to be a little while, but we'll get there. 
Uh, but uh, in that chapter, four different times, verse 4, 6, and 18 reads, The Father who sees what is done in secret, nothing surprises the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He sees every deed that you do. He sees whether you are committed in this day for him or not. And I think sometimes we think that we can hide from the Lord. I don't know if your children did this, but some of our kids, was they were toddlers, uh, and of course we had a, a big enough family that uh, the older kids would love to play hide-and-seek in the house and all of that. And, and the, the younger kids, when they were little, and some of the older kids would say, let's play hide-and-seek, they'd say, okay, okay, and they would cover their eyes. Do you see me? You can't see me, can you? And in their mind, if they could shut their eyes and put their hands over their eyes, they had hid. Nobody could see them anymore. I think sometimes we think we're like that. If we just, oh, if my wife can't see, if my boss can't see, oh, if my pastor and my church can't see what I'm thinking, what I'm doing in secret and silent in the behind the scenes, then nobody sees. I'm good to go. But the one that counts the most is Jesus. And God tells us there is nothing in the dark. There is nothing in secret. There is nothing obscure. There is nothing that can be hidden from him. If you don't memorize or remember um, any of these texts that I'm sharing, uh, maybe this is one that you ought to write down and memorize. Hebrews 4.13. You ready? Nothing. I think that means nothing. In all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, I mean, I think that means all things, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, capital H, to whom we must give an account. So one practical way for us to develop our pure heart is to remember that everything about us, everything that we are, everything God sees. You can't be fake. You can't fake it. You, can't, you might fool others, but you're not going to fool God. And so God knows it all. And what is amazing, at least to me, is in my failures, God still seeks me. In my failure, he still comes after me and wants me to serve him. How awesome is that? Man, somebody should have said amen. But that's, if Ron would have been here, he'd have said amen. Thank you, Ron. Uh, he's probably in Myrtle Beach today saying amen. That's where they're, they're on vacation. Um, the second R word is review. Review the motives of your heart. We need to have an honest evaluation of, of our motives. Why do I do what I, that I do? How, uh, is there something within me that causes me to do what I do? 
we may think, you know, what we do is important, but God may say, yeah, mm, wait, you know, there's some motives behind that that really aren't pure and holy. They, they do not glorify me. Again, Matthew 6, the part of the Sermon on the Mount that we will get to uh, down the road, Jesus mentions just three things, uh, kind of lifts those things up that could be wrong motives, and they're all tied together. He says, you know, in your giving, there are those of you that give, but you give because you want others to know you give. Wrong motive, Jesus says. He says, you know, there are those of you that pray, but you, you pray in public so that others can see you praying. Wrong motive, Jesus says. He says, well, the same thing about fasting. There's those of you that draw attention to your fasting so that others can see how precious and holy you are when, in essence, you've got the wrong motive. You need to come to me. You need to do the things for me because you want to glorify me, because you want to lift me up, Jesus would say. And so we have to, to check those motives of why we do what we do daily. And then the third one is to realign our priorities of our heart. If I want a pure heart... I need to align myself first and foremost with God. This is where the commandment in Exodus 20 verse 3 comes into play. And God is very upfront with his expectations. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And what is other gods? Anything that comes in first place above Jehovah God. He will play a second fiddle to no one. He wants the first. He wants all of you. He wants no rival in you. He wants your profession. He wants all of you. And so your job can't come first. Your mate can't come first. Your boyfriend or girlfriend can't come first. Your activities can't come first. In fact, God has said there's nothing that would come first except for me. And so we need to make sure that our priorities of our heart are in order. So as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how to kind of end this sermon and I thought about the priorities and is there a way for us to look at our priorities? How can we check our priorities to see if they're in order so that we know that God is first, that God is foremost as I wake and put my feet on the floor today? And so I think some of that checking, that test that we could do is to look at our activities First, look at our activities. What do I invest my time and my money in? Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not store up treasure yourself treasures on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your, and there's the word, your heart will be also. 
And so we need to look at our activities. What are we investing our time in? What are we investing our heart in? What is our priorities? Jesus would say, you know, one of those first is, give me first the first part of your money, your tithe. Give me the first part of your day, your quiet time. Give me the first part of your week, your worship. Give me the first part of your decision each day, your decisions that you make, and that's your thinking. One way to look at your activities is to say this, is what I'm going to do today going to be pleasing to God? Secondly, we need to look at our anxieties. Uh, In this sermon, and as I said, we'll get to it down the road, but um, Jesus says in 625, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Any worriers here? Anybody worry? Um, We'll talk about more about worrying when we get there, but we need to look at our anxieties because often our anxieties will call us to focus our priorities in areas that are not wholly pure and focusing on the Lord. Um, I'm not going to go through these in depth, but I'm just going to give you a, a few things that Jesus mentions in this sermon um, when it comes to those things that we worry about. In verse 24 of chapter uh, 6, um, he says we worry about our finances. Uh, he says we worry about what we're going to eat, our food. We shouldn't worry about those things. We worry about fitness, the health of our body. We worry about what we're going to wear, our fashion. We worry about the future. Uh, what will the future bring? And so Jesus is saying, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop worrying about these things. I'm in charge. If you think you're in charge, you've got it mixed up. It's flipped upside down. I'm in charge. I will take care of you. I will supply for you what you need. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to lift you up. If you are worrying, give me that worry, Jesus would say. So we need to look at our anxieties and see if we're worrying. And then... Thirdly, we need to look at our ambitions. Our goals reveal the direction of our hearts. If we set our hearts on kingdom things and kingdom goodness and glorifying God, then God is going to be first in our priorities. But if we have unconverted ambitions, if we have bought into the culture of this world that Oh, if I seek this, I'm going to be happy. Or if I do this, this is going to complete me. And Jesus would say, whoa, wait a minute. You've got your ambitions going in the wrong direction. Focus your heart on me and my kingdom first. And all of these things will be added unto you, Jesus says. And then finally, we need to look at our spiritual walk. Are we in the word? Are we worshiping with God's people? Worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Are we praying? Do we have a devotional life? Are we using our spiritual gifts for the building of the kingdom of God? Is our spiritual walk 
with Christ or is there lack thereof? How we look at our spiritual walk will expose whether our heart is good and right, whether our priorities are in the right order as we walk with Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, this verse says, for they will see God. There was a, um, this is a true story, by the way. There was a, a Soviet, Soviet uh, cosmonaut that went on a spacewalk. And when he came back into the spaceship, they recorded him saying, well, I certainly didn't see God out there. And someone from the control center said, but you didn't take off your helmet. Did that fly over your head? I mean, you get it, right? <laughs> All of us are going to see God. We're going to see him face to face. And God has called us into this relationship. And the wonderful thing about this, as we follow Christ, as Christ is a part of who we are, that we have this continual foreseeing or seeing of God in our walk. We see God in our faith. We see God through the revelation of Scripture. We see God in who He is in circumstances, in creation. We see His providence. We see Him in history. We know and believe that God is alive and present. And He is with us and walks with us. And so in essence, we may not see Him face to face today, but we know He's real. We see him in all of creation. But one day, and man, I look forward to that day. One day, though all the presence and his power is with me today, one day I will see Jesus face to face. In all of his splendor, in all of his glory, and he will say, welcome home. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. We look forward to that day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that reminds us that we will see you that we will be in your presence. And as the scriptures remind us, that presence is forever and ever. Amen. Until then, Father, you have called us to be pure in heart, to live in such a way that it glorifies you in all things, in all circumstances, in all trials. Father, in every day, that our heart is your heart. Our actions come out of what you have called us to be and to do. Father, may it be so. We see you clearly, though we do not see you face to face. We see you clearly in your word and in creation. We see you walking with us in our circumstances and lifting us up. But Father, we long for the day that we can be with you. Until then, Father, use us that we might share and glorify you in all things. And we pray this, Father, in your holy name. Amen.